Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. It is essential to know the relationship between Jesus and the church. In today's message, Daryl examines three reasons why we as the church must exalt Christ above all others. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. We're continuing with our vision series uh, if you're new, if this is your first time to visit River Fellowship, River F- Fellowship has a four-part vision statement. We desire that everyone experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. And so for the first several weeks, we're talking uh, through this vision statement and bring, breaking apart every tenet and getting a little more specific. Right now, we're in the second tenet, exalt Christ. Last week, we talked about how do we exalt Christ? And we said we exalt Christ the best when we put Jesus and keep Jesus in the spotlight. That his name and his fame spreads, our name and our fame diminish. This morning I wanna talk about exalting Christ, but this time, why exalt Christ? Why should we exalt Christ? What's so special about Jesus? What's so unique about Jesus that we should exalt him above everyone else and everything else? That's what we want to talk about a little bit this morning. Trying to come up with exactly what I wanted to share this morning was difficult because you're talking about Jesus Christ and why we should exalt Jesus Christ. I mean, we could talk about that all year and have a different topic. So it's impossible to, to condense all of that into one message. So I don't want to do a real, real long doctrinal statement on Christ. We're going to do that at some point. Some point down the road, we will do a series just on Jesus Christ and get in greater depth. This morning, I decided to focus specifically on the church, how he relates to the church, who he is to the church. Since we're talking about the River Fellowship vision statement, we're going to talk specifically about the church dynamic. So keep that in mind as we move forward. Let's, let's see what uh, Matthew has to say. Matthew chapter 16, pick it up in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's walk through the passage. We'll get to the main point here in a moment. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus asks an interesting question, and he wants to know just what other people say. Hey, what are other people saying about me? Go out on the world. What are they saying? Who am I? And so they begin to respond, and it's obvious in the response that there's confusion about who people think Jesus is. Some think he's John the Baptist, which to me is kind of funny because there was a period of time when Jesus and John the Baptist were both doing ministry at the same time. And so it was obvious there are two different people. Now, we know he was beheaded, but that that's, just seems weird. Somebody would say, well, he's John the Baptist. With, it, anyway, Elijah, some say he's Elijah, great prophet, or Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. A lot of confusion, but what's interesting is none of them identify Jesus 
as God or anyone unique. I think it's interesting, probably today, we would get the same kind of responses. If we were to do a, a street survey out in our nation, house to house, door to door in the marketplace and say, hey, who do you think Jesus is? I think you'd get the same confusion and the same broad answers. Some would be all the way over here on the left saying, oh, he's a fraud, he's a fake, he's a shyster, he's phony. Some might say, oh, he was a man just like us. Some might give him a little more credential. He was a, a great teacher. Maybe even he was a, a prophet of God and had words from God. Some might even go as far as to say, he's a way to heaven. There's a lot of other ways, but he's one of them. But you'd probably realize that most people, just like in this day, would fall short of calling him God anything unique about himself. Changed, times really haven't changed that much in that regard. But he goes to verse 15 now. After he asks this broad question, what does everybody out there say? Now he asks what I think is probably the most penetrating personal question in all of Scripture. Who do you say that I am? Really what he's saying is it doesn't really matter what those guys out there say. The only thing that really matters, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter jumps up. Jesus asked all the disciples this question. Peter, like normal, becomes the, the mouthpiece. And so Peter replies, replies in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So now finally someone declares He's God. He's someone unique. He is the preeminent one. He is the awaited one. He is the promised one. What he's really saying is you are the Messiah. You are the one we've been longing for, that we've been waiting for, the one that's going to come and free us from our bondage. You are the Messiah, the Christ. Which brings to verse 17, where Jesus responds to Peter, you're right. Good answer. Blessed are you. And what's really interesting is, Simon, nobody told you that other than me. The only way you knew that is I revealed that to you. And there's a great principle in Jesus' response, and that is none of us can come to God unless he draws us to himself. And we can't understand anything about God unless he reveals himself to us. He is the initiator. He is always the initiator in our relationship and in our communication. All that brings us down to verse 18, though, and this is where we're going to camp out for a little while. It's the linchpin verse. It is where everything funnels to, verse 18, where Jesus says, I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So we're talking this morning about why should we exalt Christ. I want to give you three reasons just from this one verse of why we should exalt Christ individually as well as corporately as River Fellowship. Here's the first reason. Because Jesus is the foundation of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church. He says in that verse, on this rock, so he identifies a rock. Now, this passage, uh, there's a lot of interpretations on what Jesus is referring to here. For years, there has been discussion, debate, arguments, fights as to who is Jesus replying to? What is the rock? The three most common interpretations, one, people say it's, it's Peter because he says, you're Peter and on this rock I'll build my church. So they're, they're saying Jesus is saying Peter is the foundation of the church. Others will say, no, it's not Peter 
but it's the statement that Peter made. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. So it's that statement, it's that response that's the rock. The third interpretation is that it's Jesus, that Jesus was referring to himself when he says on this rock. I think all three of these probably have some merit, some cause for interpretation, but I think there's one that's the best. It's the one that I would declare, and that is that Jesus himself is the foundation. I think Jesus here is saying, I myself am the foundation of the church. I am the rock. He's talking about himself when he says the rock, and there's three reasons why I believe that. Here's the first one. It's the point that he's trying to make through verses 13 and 17. Okay, if you can, if you can follow this, this stream of thought here, Jesus starts by saying, okay, who, who does everybody out there think I am? And then he hones it in. Who do you think I am? And then he hones it in with this answer that says, you're right, I'm the Christ of the Son of the living God. So he's, he's, he's used all of these verses to hone in to identify who he is. And so finally he gets to verse 18 and he says, on this rock, it just makes logical sense that he spent all this time funneling the thought to himself that now finally it's gonna, the, the, the culmination is, I'm the rock. It would make no sense to spend that much time trying to identify who he is and then say, oh, by the way, Peter's the rock. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. It all is funneling to him so that he can come to the point of saying, okay, I'm the rock. Second reason, though, is the word rock in verse 18. Now, we know both words are used here in this passage. Jesus calls Peter Simon first, and then he calls him Peter now, if we go back in, in the other gospel areas, we know that Jesus is actually the one that changed Peter's name. Andrew, his brother, brought him to Jesus. And so when they had that initial conversation, Jesus looks at Simon, says, you are Simon, but now I'm going to call you Cephas. Now, Cephas was the Aramaic, Peter is the Greek, but it means the same thing. It means rock. And so Jesus is changing his name from Simon, which means um, I, I, I have heard the obedient one to Peter, rock. But when you get into the, the phrase, you'll see a little difference, a little play on words. The word Peter is the, is the Greek word petros. It means individual stone. Okay? just means a, a little pebble, an, a, an individual stone. That's what Peter's name means. But the word that he uses is rock upon this Rock, and he uses the word Petra. And Petra means a bedrock. It means a large formation. It means a suitable, solid foundation. In fact, Petra and Petros are actually complete contrast words. So what he's doing is he's making a contrast. He's saying, Peter, you are a Petros. You are an individual stone. But upon this Rock, this bedrock, this Petra, that's what I'm gonna build my church on. Just imagine with me, if Jesus was really saying, okay, Peter, I'm gonna build my church on you. Okay? That's Peter. And I'm gonna build my entire church on you. Everything's gonna be built on you. Doesn't make any sense. Make as if this stage is the bedrock. What he's really saying is, Peter, this is you. This is me. What I see in my mind when Jesus is talking to Peter, because Jesus always used illustrations and, and hands and visuals and props and all that stuff when he taught, here's what I see Jesus saying. I think he's pointing at Peter saying, 
you're, you're Petros, you're a, you're a little individual stone, which is a compliment. But then he says, but upon this rock, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So I think he's talking about himself as a foundation. Here's the third reason I think he's talking about himself. It's the way this word rock and stone and cornerstone is used throughout scripture. There's a couple of scripture references. One is in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 4, it says this about Jesus. It says, as you come to him, speaking of Jesus, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He identifies this precious cornerstone, this living stone as Jesus Christ himself, and the cornerstone is the essential stone in the building, in the construction of a building. And he says, whoever puts his trust in him, that's cornerstone. There's another passage in Ephesians chapter two. In verse 19, it says something very similar. It says, you're no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Identifies again that Christ himself is the cornerstone and in him, you could replace that with on him. You could say on him, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, everything is built, everything comes together, everything rises up. So you put all this together for me, I think it's clearly obvious that Jesus is saying that the rock is himself, that he is the foundation of the church. Now I'm spending a lot of time on this for one reason. Understanding the foundation is critical. <laughs> you remember the story in Matthew, the parable, when he says you had two guys, one was wise, one was unwise. The wise one built his house on the rock, the unwise one built it on the sand. And what happened to the house built on the sand when the storms came? They disintegrated, they crumbled, they fell apart. So it's critical for us to understand what the church is built on, what the foundation of the church is. Peter was a great apostle. And if the church could be built on a man, Peter would be a great person to build it on. But it can't. The, the doctrine, the theological statement that he made that Christ is the son of the living God, that statement is a great statement, maybe the greatest statement in scripture. And if the foundation could be built on a statement, that would be the statement to stand on. But it can't. The foundation can only stand on Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the only one that's strong enough and stable enough and sturdy enough to hold the weight of the church. Nothing else, no one else. And so if we start here, big picture, here's the corporate church, all believers of all time, being built on this foundation. You bring it closer to River Fellowship, this church has to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ because any other foundation will crumble. And as we'll talk in a little moment, you can even 
narrow that down a little bit narrower to the foundation of your own life. So here's the first reason that we exalt Christ. He's the foundation of the church. Here's a second reason. He's the builder of the church. We see that when he says, on this rock, I will build. I will build. You have to have a builder, right? If you're going to build something, there has to be a builder. Things don't build themselves. So there has to be a builder. And what Jesus is saying is, he's going to be the builder. And if we want to apply this to River Fellowship, somebody has to build River Fellowship. There has to be a builder. It's not just going to happen. It's not just going to kind of come together. There has to be a builder. Now, the builder can be a person, and it's going to fail. The builder could be a personality. It's going to fail. The building can be great programs. It's going to fail. The builders can be some ministry that we're out in the world doing good things, but it's going to fail. The builder has to be Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is saying, I'm going to build the church. So if this church is going to be built, what do we have to do? We have to get the instructions from the builder. So really what we're seeing here is Jesus is both the foundation of the church and the builder of the church. The church is built on Christ and the church is built by Christ. Which leads me to the third reason. He's also the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He says, upon this rock, I will build what? My church. He's the head of the church. Ephesians 5.23 says, Christ is the head of the church. Colossians 1.18 says, Christ is the head of the body, the church. That's what the church is. It's the body. It's not a building. It's a body. So he says, it's my church. Now, he's referring, obviously, to the universal church, all believers of all time. But we can funnel it in, again, to River Fellowship, our identity, because 85% of the time in Scripture, when the word church is used, it's referring to a local expression, a local body of believers. So here's what that means. That means that this is not my church. Now, God has called me to start something new and has called me to lead pastor a new beginning, a new fellowship. But this is not my church. There are a group of, of adults that have felt over the last couple of months or called themselves to be in on something new from the very beginning to say we want to be a part, point A, to see something new. And if you're here and you're part of that core group, let me just tell you up front, this is not your church. And there's some of you here this morning that you're thinking about joining, praying about joining. I hope you do. I hope all of you do. Most importantly, I want you to be where God wants you to be. But we'd love to have everyone here. But I'll tell you up front, if you join River Fellowship, this is not your church. This isn't even our church. Now, there's a sense that it's our church. Okay? There is a level that it's our church. We want to have pride in our church. We want to love our church. We want ownership in our church. And we want to know that this is where God has called us to serve and to be. So, so there's a sense that, yes, th this is our church. This is our home. But the deeper level, the foundation, this is not our church. This is Christ's church. What does that mean? 
means it's his agenda, not ours. Not mine. It's his plan, not ours. It's his way, not ours. It's his timing, not ours. Now, I'll tell you, I've got a lot of dreams, a lot of plans, a lot of thoughts, uh, things I would love to see happen at River Fellowship, and I could just kind of go on and tell you all that stuff. But in one sense, that's all irrelevant because all that matters is what's God's dream, what's God's plan, what's God's desire. And what we have to do, instead of saying, hey, this is our church, so let's decide what we're going to do, what do we do? This is his church, and we need to connect with him and determine what does he want us to do? What's his plan? What's his purpose? What's his direction? What's his goal? What's his desire? It doesn't matter what we want to do. All that matters is what he wants because it's his church. Now, for River Fellowship, this statement for me is not hypothetical. It's not just theological. It's not just philosophical. It is fundamental to us at the very onset as we are, we're an infant, we are a newborn body. And it's critical that we understand right now the foundation of what we stand on and who we stand on, and it's Jesus Christ. Because here's my desire. My desire is that River Fellowship is life-giving and vibrant and impacting the community and our nation and our world long after I'm gone, long after we're gone. I can envision having a 50-year anniversary 50 years from now when a lot of us are out of the picture. But there's a celebration going on with thousands of people, this flowing river that we've talked about in Ezekiel, where thousands of people have been impacted by the gospel of Christ, their life changed, community changed because of this fellowship. The world has been impacted because of this fellowship 50 years from now. The only way that happens is if it's built on Christ. Because if it's built on a person, it's gonna crumble. If it's built on a program, it's gonna crumble. If it's built on anything other than Christ, it's gonna, it's gonna crumble because the only one who can bear the weight and the pressure of life is Jesus Christ. So let's look corporately. Jesus says, this is my church. All believers from all time. He's the only one that is solid enough and strong enough to bear the weight of the eternal church But even River Fellowship, our body, he's the only foundation strong enough when the pressures and the issues and the things that are gonna attack, the, the way the enemies will attack this congregation, he's the only one that will be strong and stable enough for us to stand on. But let me close by bringing it even more narrow. And that's you as an individual believer. As a believer, your foundation for your life needs to be Jesus Christ because he's the only foundation strong enough that when the pressures of your life come your way and the weight of life comes, he's the only one that's gonna not crumble when those things come. He must be the builder of your life and he must be the head of your life. It should be his way, not your way. 
in your life, you shouldn't be saying, this is what I'm gonna do, this is what I wanna do, and this is my plan, this is my dream. Those are okay, but everything comes under the submission of Jesus Christ. And what you ought to be saying as an individual, God, what do you want me to do? What's your plan? What's your purpose? What's your desire for me? And I surrender to that. So why do we exalt Jesus Christ? <laughs> because of who he is, because of what he's done, because his uniqueness. He is Christ, the son of the living God, but we do it because he's the foundation of the church. He's the builder of the church. And he's the head of the church. The only one worthy of exaltation. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages or to learn more about River Fellowship at Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.